official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here's your host, Glenn Naughton. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. Appreciate your time. Uh, Apologize if I'm... uh, I'll try not to cough into the mic all night, have a little bit of a cold. I'm joined by my co-host, Alex Barallo. Alex, how are we doing? Doing well, Glenn, and uh, good evening at Jet Nation. All right, Alex might have some extra work to do tonight in keeping me on track because I um, I do have a touch of the old uh, attention deficit disorder, and uh, I don't often take my ADD meds because I rarely need them, but I felt like I needed them today. Took them several hours ago and thought, man, these aren't really working for me tonight. And I'd say in the last 15 or 20 minutes, they've really kicked in. So I'm going to have to try to keep myself in check and not talk a million miles an hour. Alex, if I if I start going crazy, feel free to jump in and, and remind me that uh, we're not up against the clock here and having to fit in X amount of words. So that being said, just, I'm just throwing that out there in case you're like, Jesus, is Glenn on something tonight? Yes, he is. Um so, what we're going to do tonight, training camp, still a little ways away, but it's it's creeping up. It'll be here before we know it. In the meantime, it's going to be about looking at this roster up and down, top to bottom. Um, tonight, we're going to do, rather than do player rankings, which we will do next week, we'll probably do the top 20 or top 25 players next week. What we're going to do tonight is look at the position groups and see where the Jets, where we feel they are at their weakest where they where we feel they are their strongest we'll kind of throw in a couple notes about a few players maybe some lesser known guys who we think have a chance to stick guys who have stood out to us whether it's a draft pick or an undrafted guy or a free agent that we haven't talked about very much we'll we'll kind of throw in a few names here and there and maybe a couple other a uh, couple other notes on you know again ma- mainly the undrafted guys cuz we haven't all we have is a few clippings, you know, maybe one of them makes it into a tweet from time to time. We're not really hearing a lot about these guys. And I know Alex and myself, we've, uh, we've had a little bit of time to, to look at some of these players a bit more extensively. Um, but not, not quite as much as I would like to honestly, because let's face it, when you do something like this, sometimes real life gets in the way a little bit and you have to get a job so you can pay your bills and stuff like that. So um, what we will start off with though, um, small story, but worth mentioning if you're a Jets fan because it was uh, uh, it was cool for a second, and then it was scary for a second, and then it was over. Um, Robbie Anderson took part in a, a pay-per-view event, 40 Yards of Gold, I believe it was called. Basically, a, a group put together a bunch of NFL players who had reputations for being speedsters, put some money on the line for them to win, and these guys were going to run head-to-head, 40 yards, you know, 40-yard dash. And it was just going to be, you know, elimination rounds. Robbie Anderson was the only Jet to participate, and Robbie Anderson participated in just one round, which set uh, a few Jets fans, set them off wondering, was Robbie injured? He said he was not. He he was walking around after the event, didn't look to be limping or hobbling. 
Uh, actually, a cool video on the Jets site if you check it out. Robbie bought his mother a brand new car. Always cool to watch those types of videos, especially for Robbie because he's not a uh, he's not a first round pick with a with a twenty million dollar check with his name on it. But uh, this isn't to say you can't afford a car, but you guys get what I'm saying. So Robbie buys his mom a car, but he uh, he only ran once. He ran against Alvin Kamara, running back from the New Orleans Saints, and it, it, to, you know, no surprise, Kamara is a great player. But I just don't think he's in Robbie's class um, in terms of speed. I fully expected Robbie to beat him, and he did beat him beat him handily, and and then pulled out of the uh, competition. But uh, did you get a chance to look at that, Alex? What were your thoughts? Is it worth it? Do you want to see a guy, a potentially a key player, taking part in something like that and risking an injury? You know, there's a part of me that says no, but then there's a part of me that says, look, the guy could get on the treadmill to work out and have the same injury. You know, it's the off season. He's going to do things. He's going to, there will be times during the off season where NFL football players run at full speed. So why the hell not do it in an event where you can win some money? What do you think, Alex? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. I think, you know, we, we can't treat these players like they're fine China. Uh, the only times that we want to be concerned about them is when they're getting ready or they're going through like OTAs and stuff like that. It, it's just, it's more about gaining football knowledge and, and gelling together. So injuries are just a freak thing that can happen. Uh, you don't like to see it happening uh, on a non-football related event. So, you know, nobody wants to see that stuff, but yeah, I thought this was kind of cool. I, I tried my hardest to try to find some sort of pirate online uh, stream through multiple portals. I even reached out to one of my, my tech buddies to see if he could do anything for me. He couldn't even find it, and I came to find out it was some sort of pay-per-view event, and there was no way I was going to spend $40 to watch. You know, thank God I didn't do that because Rob Anderson uh, ran one race, and then he called it a night, and that was the only reason why I wanted to tune in. Uh, I did enjoy watching the, um, the media clip because uh, it's very interesting to see how his running style compared to Kamara. Um, if you go and you watch that race, you can see how uh, both these guys were probably, you know, on the track field at some point in time in their lives. So you can see how they're good straight line runners and you can notice how that, how running backs can get that quick burst. And Kamara had him in the initial, let's say first third of that race. And then you can see how Robbie Anderson is the type of runner where he just generally gets faster and faster as he catches more ground. And then basically he just, you know, took him on the back half of that uh, with ease. It looked like it almost looked like Kamara saw that he was being beat and just kind of pulled up a little bit, but uh, it, it was cool. Uh, you know, it, it's a good event for a player like him who uh, we as fans know of him and think very highly of him. But I know that outside of the Jets world, he's probably an afterthought. Um, maybe if you had him on your fantasy team, you might know who he is. But again, he gets labeled as a one-trick pony. So it was nice to see uh, his athleticism and, and showing that, you know, he's a natural sprinter. And the other cool thing that I thought is he was probably the coolest dressed guy out there because he was wearing some sort of like Mario uh, Koopa Troopa backpack that was like a turtle shell or something like that. He looked like Bowser. So it was interesting to see him kind of dressed up in, in a uh, charismatic form. But uh, I'm just glad he did not get hurt at the end of the day, for sure. 
Yeah, and it looks like uh, Marquise Goodwin ended up winning it, and it was a million dollar prize. I said there was a prize. I thought it was five hundred grand, but it's a listen a million dollars. I mean, uh, and, again, and again, especially when you get guys like Marquise Goodwin, like Robbie Anderson, these guys aren't making eighteen Olympic million runner. a year. And hell, even if they were, a million is still a lot. But when you're when you have a chance to to increase your pay by sixty seventy percent in one day's work, I can you know it doesn't surprise me that some guys were willing to participate. Um, and when I saw the participants, I liked Robbie's chances, but I thought Marquise Goodwin would be the guy who would give him the biggest challenge, and uh, he did in yeah. fact win it. So a million dollars for him. Uh, he was the guy a few years ago who smoked too. Darrell Revis. Um, and Darrell Revis said after the game he had no idea that Marquise Goodwin was a world-class sprinter. Like, how did how did somebody on the staff not mention that to him? Like, by the way, Darrell, that's one of the fastest men in the world. Um, anyway, I believe Goodwin uh, is also submitting a request to compete in the uh, 2020 Olympics as well for the summer, summer games. So that would be interesting to see if he does that. Just a side note. Yeah, I mean, listen, his run times, he, uh, he's, he's obviously a world-class level sprinter. So, uh, so anyway, Robbie won round, beat Kamara, and then he was done for the day and uh, uninjured, which is really all that matters when all is said and done. So now, speaking of Robbie, uh, we'll find out where we, we both rank. We're, we're going to do this separately. Like I said, we're going to rank the groups. We didn't, we didn't do this together, Alex and I. I've got my list. He's got his I will uh, I will start off. We are going to go from bottom to top, the weakest position group to the strongest. And uh, there are a few things I know people won't like. That's you know that's that's just the way it goes, and that's fine. And uh, we'll explain the rationale behind some of our choices, why we had some of the the players and groups where we had them. So for me, Alex, uh, the weakest group on the team is an easy one, and we're going to leave out special teams. By the way, uh, we were going to do specials, but we don't know who the return men are. Like all we know at this point is who the kicker is. We don't know who the punter will be, and we don't know who the return men are. So that would be just silly to rank the specials at this point. So, uh, starting off for so me, we're covering ten position groups, if I'm not mistaken. Then uh, should be nine, right? Quarterback, running back, wide nine. receiver, tight end, O line, D line, linebacker, safety, corner. Okay, so we're doing uh, backers combined, right? Yes, we had discussed that previously. If we were going to split linebackers to inside and outside, we're not going to do that. And we're not going to do secondary. We're going to do safeties and corners. We are going to split that. So with that being said, Alex, for me, the bottom, the you know, again, starting from bottom to top, the weakest group to me on this roster is the cornerback position. You've got Tremaine Johnson, Daryl Roberts, Brian Poole, Derek Jones, Perry Nickerson, and then behind that, a bunch of unknowns. I mean, those guys are really some unknowns. Nickerson and Derek Jones are unknowns. But you've got Tavon Campbell, Arthur Mollett, Jeremy Clark, Bless Austin, Kyron Brown, Montrell Meander, and Mark Myers. So these guys are guys who have played not at all or very little at the pro level. Got some undrafted free agents in there. Um, so really, Tremaine Johnson, I've said it before. Everyone said it. Um, he's one of the biggest X factors on the roster. There is no way, I think reality has set in, there is no way he is going to play to the level of his salary. But that doesn't mean he can't play well. He's being paid like an elite corner. I think the best case scenario for him at this point is above average corner, which is unfortunate. But if he can be above average, and I said this the other day, if Daryl Roberts and or Derek Jones can step up and offer just quality play at the two spot, 
I think that that factor alone makes this team a playoff contender. But it's a big question mark right now. The hope, obviously, with Johnson is he's back with Greg Williams where he played his best football. We knew that when Tremaine Johnson was signed, he had a reputation as being one of the best press cover corners in the NFL. And Todd Bowles did what Todd Bowles does, or Casey Rogers, whoever was making that call, had him playing 10 yards off the man, off his man all the time. So he didn't really get to play to his strengths. I say all the time, hyperbole, of course. He did press at times, but not nearly as much considering it's his strength and as much as they struggled. So, to me, corners, Johnson, Roberts, Poole, Jones, Nickerson, and company make up the weakest group on the roster. Even Kyron Brown, undrafted corner, I think he's probably better suited for safety. We'll see about that. Jeremy Clark's a guy who Manish Mehta tweeted out last season, late in the year, that the Jets had moved him over to safety and he was working there. Where the new regime has him, no idea. Will he stick? I would say he is a long shot at best. So, Alex, give me your let your lowest ranked position group, and I'll go ahead and name off the players in that group. I've got the roster in my hand right now. Okay, well, great minds think alike here, Glenn. I, I do have the cornerbacks as well at the ninth-rated position of all these guys, uh, mainly because we have a bunch of unknowns, uh, we know who the names are, but we have not seen enough of the players outside of Robert, Tremaine Johnson, and for any of you guys that went ahead and looked into Brian Poole's uh, previous uh, Atlanta games, uh, he's he's done a little bit. Um, he, he's a versatile guy that can play a little bit of safety. He can come in and play a little nickel. Uh, I know he's been lined up on the outside a little bit, but after those those three, it, it's really, really uh, unknown uh, who's going to be that fourth guy who's going to step up and solidify themselves. And it, just because you win the job this summer, it does not automatically mean that we've corrected or fixed the position or we're going to be fine throughout the course of the year. Uh, we, we still will have to test to see how they work out on Sundays. And there's a lot of guys that are, you know, air quote workout warriors or look good in camp and, when the lights turn on and it, it, everything matters, it, you know, the, the tape does not lie. Um, you know, if you haven't done your film work, it's going to show. If you haven't prepared yourself athletically or you have the stamina for it, it's going to show in the fourth quarter. So big question marks after the top three cornerbacks, uh, who's going to be the one that can, you know, save this position group at, and get us out, get them out of the bottom of our ranks. Yeah, exactly. And that that's the thing. It's just there's no other position group on this roster that has as many unknowns. You, you literally, from top to bottom, don't know what you're going to get from these guys. You know, it's one thing if you're bad, if you have a player who's not that great, but you can say, you know, okay, we he's not great, but we know we're going to get this out of him that we can count on. Um, and that's nowhere on this on this cornerback depth chart. I would love to see Perry Nickerson emerge. I would love, you know, Derek Jones, I've been talking him up since, you know, early, well, since camp last year when he was just where his, his athleticism just absolutely, you know, shined through in some of the plays he made. Um, but of course I understand that, you know, being able to make a few nice interceptions and a couple pass breakups doesn't make a guy a complete corner who's ready to play. But uh, I think, I think any Jets fan who's not living under a rock agrees universally that Derek Jones should have seen more reps last season he didn't. We'll move on. 
and hopefully hopefully Greg Williams uh, finds a way to bring him along. But uh, who's your, who's your next group, Alex? We'll we'll alternate who who does their group first. Okay, give me the group, uh, and I'll so, list the players. Yep, I have offensive line coming in uh, second to last, the eighth ranked position. Uh, basically, we've only made one uh, upgrade or one addition to that group. And uh, Glenn, if you want to go out and give out the list, go right ahead. Yeah, because uh, it's it's you know this time of year with a ninety man roster, there's about a thousand offensive linemen. So of course we have the starters: Beach, Most Maley, Harrison. We're presuming Winters, and then Brandon Shell, who may be in a battle with Chuma Adoga, Brent Quale, Eric Smith, undrafted free agent; Wyatt Miller, undrafted free agent. Sorry, Eric Smith is a guy who was on the roster last year, uh, former Patriot. Wyatt Miller and Calvin Anderson, both undrafted free agents. At guard, we've got Tom Compton, who could press Winters, Tyler Jones, Jordan Morgan. Ben Braden at centers, John Toth, and Toa Lobendon. So that's your full O-line. You go ahead and give your breakdown, Alex, but I will say that, um, again, these two were pretty easy. I I also had the O-line as being second to last. Go ahead and give your opinions. The the main reason why I feel this way is because, you know, maybe it's my own personal interest that I thought that we were going to do a little bit more in the offseason and throughout the draft. I was expecting one, if not two, offensive lineman signings. Hey, technically, I guess they did do that. They brought in a guy in Tom Compton that you know could possibly compete uh, and and put a little fire under Brian Winters' uh, position. And they brought in obviously the the trade that we made uh, with our fifth round pick for Colecio Semele, who is a Pro Bowl caliber player. Uh, he is not a a young spring chicken as as um, as we all know, I believe he's in that 30 to possibly 31 range. So he's getting toward the, the back end of his career. Uh, he does seem to be in very good shape from everything that we hear. We, we, we've talked about him at length, about the mauler, the power, the tenacity. But the big question remains, can one guy be enough to right the wrongs that this team had last year? Uh, they were not very sound in pass protection. Uh, there were times where they were not disciplined, and there was a lot of pre-snap penalties. And then there were just other times where, you know, for Brandon Shell, for instance, uh, if you ever watched him exclusively against the Miami games, Cameron Wake most certainly had his number. Uh, he just I, I he used to eat his lunch. Thank God he's out of the division. Was, I, I really thought Bryce Petty was never going to walk again on that. Yeah, one play. I mean, I at the same time, though, we are we're talking about a, a Hall of Fame player who's done that to a lot of offensive tackles. But really, uh, any time they would play the Dolphins, I don't think I don't think uh, I don't think any Jets O lineman had as much trouble with Wake as as Brandon Shell did. I could be wrong statistically, but man, it was just you just knew he was good to give up a sack a game and, and a couple hits. Yeah, it's just one of those things. The guy had his number. I think that anybody who who spends a few years in in this game and can can just say that you know this one guy. I don't know what it was. I, I even prepared you know twice as hard, but he still got me. And it just seemed to be like Wake had Shell's number. And thank God Bryce Petty did not die from that Nandamakan Sue Wake sandwich that had occurred. But that's oh, not that game. Was brutal. 
oof, that would, I, I cringed. I, I really, really thought that was the end of Petty. But uh, that, that's mainly it, just one addition. I don't know if that's going to be good enough. However, uh, you know, we did add some other pieces at the tight end position that I think collectively as a group might improve certain things for this, this O-line and, and mask some deficiencies. But at the end of the day, one major addition, we're still kind of working with the same old, same old, and we're just not sure if players like Harrison and Shell are going to be able to raise their level to quality uh, O-line protectors. So it's kind of how I see it. Yeah, uh, again, I have them ranked in the same spot, I think. And, you know, people who listen to the show have heard me say it a million times. The pass blocking is not great, but better than it gets credit for. They ranked 17th, 18th, you know, uh, between pro football insiders and uh, or inside the pylon and, and who was it, uh, PFF. All had the middle of the pack. Still have to be better. The run blocking was atrocious. There is no getting around that. I think. I think the you know one of the keys is Harrison. And even though I said because I, I try to make a point not to not to do revisionist history and double back on things that I say. I mean, first of all, some of these guys could get replaced. We could see Harrison replaced. Uh, but if we don't, um, I, I honestly didn't think they would go into the season with him at center, only because of the fact that they had so much cap space and there were a couple of quality centers on the market. They obviously came up empty there. That being said, I think Harrison, if you look at his time in Indy where he played the you know majority of his football and when he filled in last year, he's not. It, it's not the end of the world to have him at center. He's. Would you like a better player? Absolutely. But is he Wesley Johnson? Is he Colin Baxter? No, he's not any of these guys. He's, uh, he's a below average to average center, which you would like to not have. But uh, but you could do a whole hell of a lot worse. So and and again, I you know I've said before, I'm curious to see how things go for Spencer Long in Buffalo. I think he's better than what we saw from him last year. But that's 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 all water under the bridge. At the end of the day, though, Osmaley obviously an upgrade at left guard. Harrison should be a slight uh, or you know a, a noticeable upgrade from Spencer Long. He was last season and should be again this year. Winters, we've talked about. I think Compton will push him because Compton is a far more athletic player. So if this team looks to run a little bit more zone offense, zone blocking, I think Compton has a chance to take that job. And then Chuma Adoga, I think, will compete with Brandon Shell at right tackle. I don't know if he's strong enough yet to take that job, but I don't. I think the Jets envision him as an, a left tackle eventually. Well, at least I think Mike McCagnan did. I have no idea what the, what, what the current regime thinks of him. But I think Adoga will will press him. Quale, I would look at Quale at guard, to be honest. Uh, people may not realize Quale went to Nebraska as a guard. And a few years ago when he played there uh, for the Jets for a couple games when Brian Winters got hurt, uh, he played pretty well. I remember he, he wasn't bad. I, actually, I, I looked it up to see what PFF thought of him. And those were his two highest graded games of the year when he played right guard. So I think he's a little bit vulnerable on the outside. Um, against guys coming off the edge, but I think if you move him inside because he's probably a better, he is a better run blocker than pass blocker. Uh, I think he's a better guard than he is a, a tackle. But if it's his own scheme, that's a bad fit. So we're going to see what where this offense leans. And in terms of depth, uh, beyond that, you know, you have a lot of guys who haven't proven anything. You know, like I said, a couple of undrafted free agents. You got Eric Smith. You got John Toth, who was with the team last year. Toa Lobendon who's played a few different spots, but listed as a center. So we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens there. But again, second to last on the list uh, in terms of position groups. So,
for me, my next group, Alex, I've got the tight end group. And this isn't, uh, you know, obviously they have a very good young player in Chris Herndon. But beyond that, they have Eric Tomlinson, who is coming off of what I think is his worst year as a Jet. You've got Wesco, Trevon Wesco, who they drafted, who looks to be a guy who they're going to be able to move around quite a bit between tight end, fullback, H-back, and just, you know, let him move around the offense. And whether he's blocking or, or receiving, he's a guy that gives you a few options. He's, he's, you know, he's one of those X-factor guys. If he pans out and plays as well as he can, you made a great point earlier, Alex, talking about how the O-line wasn't upgraded. But listen, if Wesco blocks as well and throws as he did in college, you know, not from day one, obviously, but if he develops into that type of a tight end, then, the, you know, the tight end group looks a lot better. But I'm I'm going here in terms of, you know, well, we both are. We're looking at depth and what these guys have proven. So Herndon, I have no doubt, is going to be a damn good player. West Coast, yet to take a snap. I think he'll be solid. Tomlinson's coming off his worst year. Does West Coast being drafted light a fire under him and get him to play quality football? And then Daniel Brown is another interesting guy. You know, we've talked about him. He's He played wide receiver in college. He's probably got better hands than what we've seen. You know, could he be one of those guys that was playing for a team in a system that didn't play to his strengths, and Adam Gase had him there and wanted him back? Uh, Adam Gase, of course, when he was the coordinator in Chicago. Uh, they bring Daniel Brown in, and I didn't see a bad word about him during OTAs. It was all positive from the Jets' beat. Yeah, I, I completely agree uh, with what you got there. Now, uh, full disclosure, um, I had uh, a little bit of a different uh, ranking list because I had included um, outside linebackers separate from inside linebackers, and I had special teams also thrown into the mix as well. Uh, so, unfortunately, um, my seventh <laughs> comes in at, at quarterback. So, uh Jet Twitter, you know, at NYJetsLife24, you can go ahead and haze me for this because I know I'm, I'm putting Sam Darnold, uh, Sam the Savior, uh, very short on our list, but that's just kind of how the way it works out um, until proven otherwise. And, and I hope that he does take a, a big step this year, not even a step, a leap. And I hope that he can figure out a way to reduce his turnovers. And when I when I say that, I'm, I'm looking for numbers – it would be nice to have under 10, uh, but if he can get under 11 turnovers this year, I think that that would be a positive. I believe he had about 17 last year, um, and he had, I think, his previous year in college, he was around 22 turnovers. So there was slight improvement at a definitely at a better, higher uh, professional level. So if he can clean up some of those things, I think Sam really will uh, – you know, prove me wrong as far as the position groups are going, because mainly after him, there that that's probably my biggest nightmare is seeing Simeon, Davis Webb, or Luke Falk having to take snaps. So right now I have it listed as quarterback at seven, and uh, I'll put an asterisk on that one, subject to change. Uh, go ahead and prove me wrong, Sam. Yeah, Alex, I just got to say, how dare you? How dare you put <laughs> Sam Darnold? That low on the list, you should be ashamed of yourself. You have no right. You're out of your mind. That being said, actually, you're onto something there. I'm definitely out of my mind. (laughs) That being said, uh, one spot ahead of the tight ends, I have the quarterbacks. Um, I've 
Completely agree, Alex. Um, listen, we both love Darnold. We both think he's going to be the guy. I've said, I, listen, I've said I think he's going to break the team record for, for touchdown passes this year. I think he's going to be, you know, if not, he's going to be knocking on the door. I think minimum 28, 29 touchdowns, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see 33, 34. I, I have that much faith in Le'Veon Bell and the receivers and Adam Gase's reputation. That being said, um, it's hard for me to put – because, listen, let's face it. Uh, like you said, and, and as so many people have said in the past, when you have a, a when you know that you have a damn good young quarterback um, and not much behind him, it's really – you're rating the position. It's one deep in terms of if Sam Darnold goes down, this team is done. That's just the reality of the situation. So I'm looking at it. Sam Darnold is 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 basically carrying 99% of this ranking. And the reason I put Sam Darnold and the quarterbacks where I put them is because based on on-field performance, I can't put Sam Darnold ahead of all the other position groups where you have, you know, all pros and pro bowlers and, you know, and just more depth, you know, three, four, five deep. You just can't do that. He hasn't done enough. Um, you know, my hope is by the end of this year, he's clear-cut. You know, quarterback is the number one position on the team. Uh, you know, the number one group on the team. Because Trevor Simeon, listen, I, in terms of a spot starter, you could do worse. Is he going to carry you? No. Uh, you know, if, if 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 he's needed for a long time, that's not going to happen. But I think it's totally fair to say Sam Darnold could at some point elevate the quarterback group to the number one ranking on this roster. But as of right now, today, what he has done, I can't put him ahead of a bunch of pro bowlers and, and all pros. That's just, that's, you know, I mean, it's wishful thinking. You hope that's where he lands. But as of right now, you can't do that. Absolutely. You got to, there's a fine line between reality and fantasy. And yes, of course, our, in our minds, we, you know, I saw somebody say the other day, 35 plus touchdowns and 4,000 yards. And I said, oh, from your lips to God's ears. So yeah, um, listen. we have to we have to try to work within you know be rational when we when we look at these things and you know sometimes a hard truth is is tough to swallow. Yeah. Listen, yeah, nobody's saying that's that's where he belongs and that's where he's going to stay. Uh, you know, you take some of these guys, you know, because and this is something I've I've battled with in the past when we when next week, Alex, when we do our top twenty or twenty five, do we include the rookies? Like they haven't taken a snap, but at the same time, yeah, if we're doing it off expectations. I sure as hell expect Quinn and Williams to be, to be better than the 25th player on the roster. Um, According so to that, you know, that, that, he's the top-rated guy, apparently. Exactly, though, as far exactly. As rookies are concerned, so Madden has saw that. Uh, baby so you can't, you, you can't have him in the top 25. It's, it's insane. So, uh, okay, so and, the next group for me, above the quarterbacks, I'm going to go with the safety position. And the only reason safeties weren't a little higher is because of the Marcus May injury last year. If Marcus May had played 12, 13 games last season, I probably would have ranked this this group one or two spots higher. But with Jamal Adams, Marcus May, and, you know, this is with the assumption these guys stay healthy. You can't do these rankings and say, well, I'm I'm sure this guy's going to get hurt. I'm sure that guy's going to get hurt. I mean, talk about, you know, trying to have a crystal ball. I mean, you know, it's all a little bit of fun. But when you start assuming every guy that's going to get injured, that's just, you know, I mean, we're only guessing as it is, but that's just – that's just like next level seeing what sticks and just throwing stuff out there. So again, Adams may, uh, I like Middleton. He's another guy who's been dinged up though. So that hurts them. 
I think Bryant looked good. Uh, Brandon Bryant last year, late in the preseason. So I kind of like him. I think he has a chance to stick. Rontez Miles, I think, is going to be pushed by Santos Ramirez because they are similar players in terms of uh, big punishing hitters. But Ramirez probably a little bit more athletic in terms of a cover guy. Not a great cover guy, but Miles is uh, is pretty stiff back there. And, and uh, you know, he's one of my favorite guys on the Jets. Uh, you know, talk about a guy who's just 100 miles an hour all the time, you know, passionate, crazy, out of his mind, always always trying to get the crowd pumped up, the defense pumped up. Rontez Miles is that guy you want on, you know, on your sideline. Um, so that's where I have the safeties. One spot ahead of the quarterbacks, Adams, May, Middleton, Bryant, Miles, and Santos Ramirez. And that's your fifth ranking of the team, correct? Correct. Okay. So just to recap, Glenn and I were the same on the bottom with corners. We were the same with offensive line coming in second to last. Uh, a little bit of a flip-flop where I had QBs at seven and I have tight ends at six. You had it in reverse. And then this is where we are completely different. I, You went with safeties, and I'm putting in the wide receiver group here. Now, the main reason why I, I put them here, kind of middle of the road, is because of health concerns. Uh, we have two really good shorthanded wide receivers in Anunwa and Crowder. These are going to be uh, – probably the bread and butter if this offensive group really, really gels and comes out together. Because the, if if Crowder and Nunwa stay healthy for 16 games this year, we're looking at a pretty potent offense. Uh, we already know what Robbie Anderson can do as a deep threat. And he's begun to show some other things uh, as far as just not being a one-trick pony uh, he can be used in, you know, inside and outside concepts. Uh, he, he's not the got the biggest frame, and you don't want this guy, uh, you know, taking on uh, huge safety hits in between the middle third of the field. But he can take the top off the defense, and he's certainly going to open up some things uh, underneath. So I have the wide receiver slotted in at the fifth position at this point. Yeah, we uh, we differ quite a bit there. I. Uh... <clears throat> I have them higher than that, but uh, going from safety, my next one up, my next position is I have the running backs there, and the main reason being too many question marks behind Le'Veon Bell. I I like Ty Montgomery a lot, but he's never really been a workhorse. He's never had a a heavy workload. Bilal Powell, we don't know if he's going to make the roster. We don't know what's going to happen when he takes his first hit. You know, again, I say we're not trying to predict injuries, but when you have major injuries, um, as you've just mentioned with the wide receivers, and I'll talk about why I, I put a little less weight on that with the receivers, but Powell's injury history, Montgomery's never been a workhorse. I like McGuire a lot, have since he was drafted. He's a better receiver than he gets credit for. I think he's Bilal Powell light, uh, minus, you know, seven, eight years younger. Trenton Cannon is a guy who's going to have a hard time sticking on this roster, as I've said previously, unless if they give Brant Boyer one player of his choice, he might take Cannon. Um, otherwise, as I've said, just go ahead and IR the guy and put him on the shelf for the year. You also have D'Angelo Henderson and Valentine Holmes, who is Valentine Holmes doesn't count as a roster spot, by the way. Um, I saw somebody tweeted at me uh, a week or so ago saying why we wasted a roster spot on an international guy. It's a special program the league has every year. A different division gets an overseas player to try to grow the game and grow interest. That player is counts as an 11th spot on the practice squad. 
So you get your normal 10, you get your 53-man roster, the international guy is an extra player that's allocated. And no, you can't cut him and pick somebody up in that spot. Um, so that's just that's a side note. But listen, running back, I like the group a lot. If if uh, if Bilal can stay healthy, or if Bilal, you know, Bilal's been nicked up through the years but never had an injury quite as serious as he had last year. And Montgomery's a versatile guy. I think we'll see him at receiver quite a bit as well. And I like McGuire. So that's that's why I had this group ahead of the safeties. Um, you know, again, some injury concerns. But, it, you know, when you have Le'Veon Bell, you would expect maybe your running back group to be one or two. But it's the, the, the fact, again, unproven guys and a guy coming off of a major, major injury in Bilal Powell. You know, at the time they said it was thought to be career-threatening. Um, turned out it wasn't. Uh, well, at least that's what they're saying now. We'll see what happens when he takes his first live hit. But I like the group, and uh, that's where I have them. Who do you have next, Alex? Okay, so this one was probably one of my tougher ones. Um, I think I've changed the 3-4 spot uh, probably about five times, um, three times within the last 10 minutes. But due to the fact that I cannot determine what is going to happen with this linebacker group, I I know what to expect from C.J. Mosley, and I'm going with the linebackers here. Uh, and and we know what to expect from William uh, Williamson, and we saw Jordan Jenkins take a step last year. Uh, he got seven sacks. That's his career high. Uh, can he repeat that? Possibly. Can he exceed that? Not sure. There's a lot of mouths to feed, but it's definitely going to be a lot of fun to see how Greg Williams, uh, you know, air quoting, unleashes some of these guys. Uh, I saw something the other day saying that Craig Williams was going to unleash uh, Avery Williamson, and he hasn't even scratched the surface yet. Very interesting. Uh, I'm intrigued by that. But I think the fact that Brandon Copeland seems to be the guy that's going to be starting in in the starting position on the outside linebacker, and then we're going to be seeing possibly rotational players with guys like Chakai Polite, Frankie Louvu, and, uh, you know, possibly even a Terrell Basham, uh, who came up uh, in a couple of news feeds saying that he's looked pretty good as far as the camps were concerned. So, I did see that. I saw Basham's name a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I thought that Basham was a very intriguing prospect. Uh, as, you know, he was going through his process. Things didn't work out for him um, at the Colts. I thought it was a good move by Mike McCagnan when they picked him up last year. And he was a rotational guy. He had some packages out there, some sub-packages that they threw him out on. So it'll be interesting to see if if Polite, obviously, if he steps up and he can show that he can be a quality run supporter. We, we already know that he has some speed rushing skills, but that's at the collegiate level. Uh, he didn't do it consistently year in and year out. Uh, he had one double-digit uh, sack season, which I believe was 11 in his final year. So – you know, taking that jump from college to the pros, there, there's a, a lot of room to grow, and there's a lot of things that he's going to have to learn. So I, I'm putting him in at number four right now only because that one outside linebacker position just just doesn't seem to make me feel 100% comfortable as of right now, and I'm hoping that that changes. Yeah, it is a glaring, uh, glaring spot there. It's, it's, you know, there are some questions, but uh, for me, let's see, we're on number three, right? The third ranked group. 
Um, uh, that's where I have the linebackers. I have the linebackers third overall. I mean, listen, you got a multiple-time Pro Bowler in C.J. Mosley. You got Avery Williamson, who plays, I would say, damn near at a Pro Bowl level. Um, and I, I think that's—I don't think that's a, a, a much of a stretch at all. Then, as you mentioned, Jordan Jenkins, nice year last year, seven sacks. Not out of the question that we see an uptick in that this year with a little bit better, uh, with some better personnel in the front seven. Um, including, you know, Brandon Copeland is a guy who I felt was underrated. He had five sacks last year as a part-time guy, and he's going to be competing with Ja'Kai Polite for playing time. And I, Ja'Kai Polite, I watch him on film. He does all the things you expect a guy to be able to do to get to the quarterback. The way he can bend the edge and, cut, you know, get across, get to the quarterback so quickly because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't take these big looping routes where he, you know, gets run out of the picture by the offensive tackle. He beats a guy early on you know, turns quickly inside and gets to the quarterback. And, I'm, you know, I'm not sitting here saying he's going to do that perfectly from day one of the pros and, and be a 10-12 sack guy. But I think between Jenkins, Polite, and Copeland, I would expect, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 18 to 19, 18 to 20 sacks between those three guys. And I don't think, uh, you know, I mean, let's face it, Jenkins and Copeland combined for 12 last year. So if Jenkins adds one or two, Ja'Kai Polite picks up, you know, six or seven, and Copeland, you know, mirrors what he did last year. That puts you right there in that range. That's not a bad number. So a couple, you got an, an all-pro on the inside standing next to a, a a guy who plays damn near an all-pro level. Then I think your outside guys on a rotational, you know, situational basis, I think they can pick you up 20 sacks. And then your backups, of course, uh, Neville Hewitt on the inside, Anthony Wint on the inside, draft pick Blake Cashman on the inside. You got Frankie Louvu, who is another guy who impressed last year, you know, sporadically didn't get as much playing time as I would have liked. But, uh, I, you know, I understand it's, you know, there was a lot of bot- there's, there's only so many reps to go around. And, uh, you know, Jenkins is playing well. Copeland is solid. Uh, Harvey Lange, James Burgess, Jeff Allison, Jamie Mosley, some undrafted free agents in there, some uh, cast-offs from some other teams. But all in all, I think that with the core of that, that group being Mosley and Williamson, that alone makes it a really strong group, and then you have a, a, a Jenkins who's on the you know looks to be on the way up, and Polite who I'm a big fan of, and Copeland who played well last year. That to me makes this group uh, the third best on the team, and that brings I believe it, are you up or am I about? You started with that one, didn't you? I'm up. I think you went. No, first you there. started the the third, so so I'm up on the three. Three spots. Okay, got it. And this one here, Go ahead. that's where I'm going to plug in the defensive line. Now, the reason why I put them ahead of the linebackers here is because we all know that uh, football games can be determined in the trenches. And I, I do feel that bringing back Steve McClendon was, was a, a phenomenal move as a leader, as a guy that, you know, will be plugging up the A and the B gaps. Uh, keeping guys accountable in the locker room and our draft pick. Uh, I, I really think the sky's the limit for this kid. And I really hope that everything just comes to fruition from what we've heard, what we've seen and, and everyone around the league just really has nothing poor at all to say about Quinnen Williams. I think that he's going to be the big factor on why this defense is going to be in the conversation as one of the better defensive groups in this league. And, uh, you know, if, even if we didn't have Quentin Williams, I still feel confident in a three, four set 
with Big Cat, McClendon, and uh, Henry Anderson, also known as Goose, as I as I often see on Twitter. Uh, this was a you know as far as Anderson's concerned, this was a, a seventh round. Let's see what happens, and it turned out very very well. Uh, he was basically a rotational piece to start, and he earned that starting role as far as I'm concerned. And I believe he was right around that seven maybe seven and a half mark with sacks as well. And, you know, there were just games where you could see he's got the size, he's got the length. Um, I, and the, I also get confused on, on a player. When you look at his physique, um, normally when you look at three, four defensive ends, they're, they're more like Sheldon Richardson or, or uh, Mo Wilkerson. You know, they're big, burly guys. Uh, they're, they're good run stoppers. Yes, they'll give you occasional pass rush, but – you know, mainly run-stopping is their forte. And you don't really see that with, with Anderson. He's a different style body type. He's, he's, he's very lanky. And you could see he got some pass deflections last year. He created some pressure. He uses his arms to his advantage when he extends linemen, and then he sheds and goes, goes hunting. So I really think that, you know, Henry Anderson is a guy that doesn't get enough um, recognition for what he did and what possibly could happen this year, um, you know, given the talent that we've added at the linebacker position and bringing back McClendon and going after possibly a stud in, in Quentin Williams. So I'm definitely very excited to see how the defensive line sets the tone uh, for the whole defense as a group. Oh, you there, Glenn? Yeah, sorry about that. They uh, Anderson and Jenkins tied for the team lead. They both had seven sacks, and Anderson had four passes defended, uh, which you mentioned he had a handful of. And it, it felt like he had more than four, honestly. Uh, I'm getting, I'm pulling this off of uh, PFR for those of you wondering. So uh, yeah, very good player. You know the the value for that. You know that might go down as the best trade um, in terms of a player for a pick that Mike McCagnan made. Of course, if Hack works out, that'll go down as the best trade anyone's made for this team. Um, but, uh, yeah, Anderson definitely – and, you know, he, he got paid like it this year. He didn't make a lot of money, uh, you know, relatively speaking, his first few seasons. Uh, but he got – he's getting, what, seven $8 million this year. So he's doing all right for himself. So I would – so I did go first on the, the third spot. So you're going first on the second spot. Who is your number two ranked group, Alex? Okay. So this one is going to be our running back position, and it's mainly because of Le'Veon Bell. Uh, he was one of the top offensive free agent signings this year. I, I, I've been pounding the table for him uh, for a very, very long time. I feel vindicated that the Jets were able to get this done, and uh, you know I'm, I, I can't wait to see what he does uh, with a year of rest, uh, fresher legs, uh, he seems to have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Uh, we think, or at least collectively, there's a lot of people that have said that we've seen the best of him. And, you know, we're, we're just basically going to see a, a player that's, you know, in a former shell of himself. I don't think that's the case. Uh, I remember when Marshawn Lynch walked away and then he came back and people didn't think that he could still do it. And he came back for another thousand yards. Um, in his 30s, uh, with the injuries, you know, that he had brought with him. And, 
you know, um, we're not going to talk about beast mode or anything like that, but I do think that there is value um, in taking time to heal your body. And with the group that is behind him, if something were to happen, it's good that we have someone that we're comfortable with in Bilal Pile. We know that Ty Montgomery is a versatile guy who can play as a receiver, not really a guy you want to pound in between the tackles as far as a running back, but he can give you uh, the scat back, receiving back style role in a four-minute or a two-minute offense. So I really like the depth here. Uh, we also know that we've got a couple young guys in there in Cannon and McGuire. Uh, I believe that, you know, McGuire was set in prime to have a good year last year, but that that late injury that he that happened to him in last summer that I, I think he came was activated week 11, if I'm not mistaken. So he missed the first 10 weeks and he did marginally well. You know, there were times in which little room to be desired, but I think that he's just another one of those players where he, a, he hasn't had the big opportunity and he just hasn't been healthy and he end up, he might end up being the odd man out out of this group. But I do think that it, from a talent perspective, that there's some unknowns with, with McGuire and we've already talked about Cannon um, at length, his special teams, and what he could do as a receiver with his speed. So I really feel that the running backs are one of the offensive strengths, and that's why I put him in the number two spot. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, as I said, when you're talking about Le'Veon Bell, you know, I I probably should have had a uh, probably should have had that group a little bit higher. But I just the you know the depth of it, even though he will be the workhorse. You know, as, as I said, with the quarterback, it's a little different because if the quarterback's healthy, he's taking every single snap. Um, even if Bell is healthy, he will get some rest, and it's about who are the guys behind him. And, uh, and again, I do like some of them, but that was the reason I uh, I knocked them down. But, I, you know, hard to argue with, with taking a group intended by Le'Veon Bell and placing them in the top, you know, one or two of a team's strengths. So for me, my uh, my number two group, you had them a couple, a few slots lower, uh, and I'm going to explain why here. Um, I have the wide receivers ranked number two. Uh, reason being, I think that, and I, I've talked about this before, I think with Robbie, Quincy, and Crowder, those three guys alone give you the ability to do a really nice job of attacking the defense at every level. Uh, Quincy doesn't get enough credit for his speed. He was a four-four-five guy out of Nebraska. He had one of the best... Uh, uh, reception rates on deep balls a couple years ago, according to Pro Football Focus. Robbie, we know about his prowess as a deep guy, so they can both stretch the field. Robbie, of course, does not better. That doesn't mean Quincy can't. I think Crowder's going to be able to get open underneath. I really like Deontay Burnett. I really hope he finds a way to stick. Uh, w- one interesting thing, though, this isn't so much to do with the ratings, but I was thinking about this. I thought about it at the time. And every time I look at it, it's, it, it sticks with me, Alex. The fact that Josh Bellamy is a guy who everyone talks about, you know, that he was signed to play special teams, um, which, you know, that, that's fine. But the thing that, that stands out to me is that this is a guy who he's going to be paid over $2 million. Um, and it's not like he's a dynamic return man. He has very little return experience. He's got, 
let's see. I looked this up earlier. His his kick and punt return numbers. He's got. Let's see. Through his career, he's got five punt returns. Sorry, five kick returns, and he's never returned a punt. Now, I don't know if he's a, a great gunner, but do you pay a receiver two and a half million, two million, two and a half million, to be a special teams guy that doesn't return kicks and doesn't return punt? Like that just doesn't make sense to me. That that screams to me that the Jets have some ideas for him, that the Jets have a role for Josh Bellamy. And he's a guy who played for Adam Gase in Chicago a few years ago. Didn't do a whole lot. 2015, Gase was the OC. Bellamy had 19 catches for 224. So not very productive. Didn't do a lot as a return guy. His best pro season came in 17 when he had 376 yards. And they paid him over $2 million. So I'm really curious to see what, what you know, I know Adam Gase was hands-off this offseason and kind of wanted to let Mike McCagney do whatever he wanted to do and then let the owner, you know, make a decision on how good the offseason was. But I have a really hard time. Adam Gase didn't have any input in acquiring a guy who he coached previously who you're paying $2.5 million um, to, to not return kicks and who's advertised as a special teams player. It just it something doesn't add up, so I'm really curious to see exactly how they use him. But you know, my point stands. Uh, you know, Robbie Quinty and Crowder, I think, is a really good one, two, three. And I want to talk about Quinty's injury history too, because that's that's the biggest knock on him. And I'm you know, I'm not I'm not saying it isn't justified. You know, there are some concerns there, but I think a, a couple of different factors make it a little bit overblown. Um, and what I might what I mean by that is, yes, Quincy Inunua only played 11 games in 2018. And I've talked about this before. He was shut down with, you know, obviously with five games to go. And after missing a couple weeks, there were, you know, there was a report out. And I, I next time we have Manish on, I have to ask him because I can't remember. I think it was Manish who said that they basically were shutting him down because the games were meaningless and they didn't want to run him out there. That if the games mattered, he would have played. So in all reality... Did he play 16 games? No, he played 11. Does that mean he was only healthy for 11 or only healthy enough to play in 11? Not necessarily. It sounds like he could have played in 13, 14 games, which to me, I can live with that. You know, 13, 14 games isn't, isn't the end of the world. It's the NFL. Guys are going to get nicked up and miss some time. Uh, the previous year, obviously, he had the serious neck injury, missed the whole season. Obviously a major concern. The season before that, he played 16 games. And the season before that, he played 12 games. And the season before that was his rookie year. He only appeared in one game on special teams. But to me, the guy played 12 games in year two, 16 games in year three, missed a full season with an injury, and then could have, again, according to to some of the Jets beat writers, or at least one beat writer, could have played 13, 14 games last year. So is that really a guy that you look at and go, oh, this guy can never stay on the field. This guy is always hurt. No, this guy's had a – I think he had an ankle in 2015 that made him miss a few games. So he missed a few games here and there. I, I don't know. I don't, people talk about Quincy like you can only count on him for two or three games a year. And minus one major injury uh, and, and minus a team shutting him down because they were out of the playoff hunt and didn't want to run him out there, it looks like he's a guy who's going to 
be able to regularly give you 12, 13 games plus. Because, again, he's played 16 games. Could have played more than 12 last year. So, you know, listen, I'm not saying he's an Iron Man. I just think the injury thing with Quincy is a little bit overblown. Um, is it a concern? Yes. Is it an absolute certainty that he's going to miss eight or nine or ten games? No. No, he might miss some time, but again, it's the NFL. Guys get nicked up. They miss time. So for that reason, that, that's why I put the receivers that high. I think, I think Quincy's injury stuff is overblown. Robbie's Robbie. Crowder's going to be a monster underneath in this offense. Bellamy I have questions about, but I like Burnett. I don't think Peak makes the roster. Dorch has a shot. And, uh, you know, some guys like J.J. Jones I like as a long shot guy. But I have the receivers at two because of the fact that they're going to be able to challenge defenses all over the field. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. You know, I, I'm looking at the game logs from last year, too, with Quincy and Unwa. When you look at the first two weeks um, combined, you know, 13 catches, right around 155 yards in a score, you were, you'd think that he was destined or bound to have a career year. And he didn't have a single game. Now, I can't see the targets on, on this um, game log list that I'm seeing here, but he didn't have more than four receptions in a game for the rest of the season. And there were just certain games where I remember going throughout the whole course of the game and his first catch would be in the second half. And you're thinking, Jeremy, Jeremy Bates, what are you doing? You know, he's one, yeah, he's well, one of your, your strongest wide receivers and reliable yep. guys. Why aren't you scripting to get him the football? It's just And I said, I said early on, I, I think a lot of people said, Alex, after the first four weeks, Darnold was relying too heavily on Quincy. Um, mm, true. Through the first, through the first four weeks, uh, just in terms of defenses, we're starting to key on him a little bit. Um, through the first four weeks of the season, he had nine targets in week one, 11 in week two, eight in week three, eight in week four. That's 36 targets through four weeks. That's a lot. Um, then his targets went five, one, four, eight, four, six, four. So his targets dropped considerably late as the season progressed. And but you know, not necessarily a bad thing as Sam got comfortable with a few more options. But 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 the point remains, he should have been more heavily involved. And uh, and the injury again, I, I would love to know. Uh, I would love to be a fly on the wall or to know if that truly was a season-ending injury where they couldn't put him out there. Or if it was just a case of, um, and again, I'm, I could be wrong, but I believe it was Manish who said it, that the team felt he could have played if they needed him, but they just didn't need him. So um, Quincy's a guy who just, I think he gets a bum rap, and I hope he proves everybody wrong this year and manages to play in, you know, 14, 15, 16 games and have himself a nice season. But uh, I think that I think that the that trio, those top three guys, I think can be really good in this offense. Okay, so does that bring us to the number one? That brings us to number one. Go ahead. You can uh you can you can lead it off. All right. So for my number one, I'm going with the safety group here. Um we'll start it off with the Prez, Jamal Adams. Uh, I, I don't see how I you can, even though I know that you put them a little bit lower on the list, but he is clearly, in my mind, uh one of the most talented uh, football players, athletes, and most one of the most important guys on this on this team next to Sam Darnold. Uh, I think that as far as his leadership, his energy, um, his ability to move around, 
and play cover linebacker. I think he he could even play nickel corner if you wanted him to, and his versatility to play free and strong safety. I think that he is the wild card, our ace up our sleeve uh, for Greg Williams as far as, you know, mixing up his packages and, and moving him around like a chess piece. I really think that if this defense is going to go to the next level, uh, 33 is going to be one of the main reasons why that happens. Now, another reason why I put them in as the number one is because I believe that Marcus May is going to change the narrative this year. And I think this is going to be the year where he finds a way to stay on the field uh, and be that deep defender that's going to mask the deficiencies of, you know, our possible outside corners with Roberts and Johnson. Uh, I believe that he will end up leading this team in interceptions by year's end. And as far as behind uh, May and Adams, Rontez Miles, as you had spoken before, uh, I believe he's one of the leaders on the special teams group. This is a guy that just, Whatever he's doing, he's doing it well, and he keeps finding himself on this roster, uh, even with all the changes that we've had throughout the years. Rontez Miles just seems to be one of those guys that just keeps doing whatever he's doing in, 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 the, in the right mind of the coaches. And he's going to keep that tenacity on special teams. Now, I do not trust him um, in a starting role, uh, especially at free safety. That would scare me a little bit, but I have no oh God, problem no. seeing him here or there in a pinch. Um, but as, And as far as Doug Middleton, we saw what he could do when he stepped in for Marcus May last year. Uh, he played pretty admirably. Uh, there were times where we could see why he was a backup and not a starter. Uh, and fortunately, before – he, we got the pitchforks out to chase him out of town. Marcus May became healthy. So uh, I do feel that Doug Middleton is just another one of those guys where um, every, every, every team needs a guy like him, somebody that you know that can come in and give a spot start here or there, or if a guy, you know, has to sit a quarter and you, have to, you don't want to lose too much uh, from a talent perspective, I think Doug Middleton keeps your, your defense honest. And, and obviously the awesomeness that is Jamal Adams puts them in as the number one position group for me. Yeah, I think if, uh, if May is healthy this year, that they have a chance to be really one of the top safety tandems in the NFL, if not the best. Um, although San Diego's got a pretty damn good tandem out there. Uh, but Ooh. even still, this is going to be uh, – th- these two guys have the potential to be elite. I remember speaking with a – a Jets team employee after that draft and uh, just kind of, you know, just, just having a chat. And I said, what'd you think of this class? And he just said, he said, these two guys are going to be like something Jets fans have never seen in the secondary, like teaming these two guys at safety. Um, So I know that the feeling in the building was, was, I mean, obviously you went, you know, you took these guys in first and second round for a reason. That's not something you do every day. Um, I was even critical of it on draft night. But, you know, when the dust settled and you kind of take a step back, you think, all right, you know, it it was funny to complain about that. Again, even being someone who did initially, when we complained for so many years that, oh, Jesus, this team can't stop a damn tight end. Every tight end we play, we make them look like, uh, you know, 
everybody looks like Gronk against us, and we can't we can't defend the middle of the field. And then the team drafts two safeties to defend the middle of the field. And he goes, oh, my God, the team doesn't understand positional value. How do you take safeties in round one and two? What the hell is wrong with this team? It's the same thing every year. They don't know what they're doing. Like, it's like, what is it, you bipolar maniacs? You, you can't have it both ways. You can't complain for 10 years and we can't stop a tight end. And then, uh, you know, lose your minds when you, when you take a couple guys to stop tight ends. And in case you haven't noticed, Jess did a pretty damn good job against the tight ends last year. Um, the year before, not Absolutely. so much. It didn't go so well. And, and uh, Jamal Adams gave us some touchdowns in year one. A couple of them were push-offs, but even still, he, he struggled a little bit. But uh, anyway, that brings us uh, to my, my final, my number one, obviously the only group left on the list. And for me, it's the D-line. And largely, you know, the, you know, a lot gets made of Leonard Williams' poor sack numbers. I get it. But I really think that under Greg Williams, you know, Leo does pressure the quarterback. Leo does beat, you know, does beat blockers up front. And Henry Anderson, you talked about, I mentioned the seven sacks, four passes defended. Like, the guy could do a lot of things and does them well. McClendon, I've said a billion times over, Mr. Underrated, most underrated guy on the roster. Uh, you add Quinnen Williams to that. And if Quinnen Williams is sort of three quarters of what we expect him to be as a rookie, that's going to be a damn good front. That's going to be a, a really, really good defensive front. I do worry a little bit about McClendon because as much as I like him and I hope the Jets give him a five-year contract as a coach the day he retires because I want that guy in that locker room mentoring these young guys. I do worry with his age. There were a couple times last year where I felt like he got pushed around a little bit more than usual. And I hope he's not losing a step. You know, and if he has, it happens. He's a D lineman. He's getting into his 30s. But I really hope he has a bounce back year. And I'm, saying he, I'm not saying he was bad last year. I just don't think he was as good as his first couple years with the Jets. But McClendon, Leo, Anderson, and Quinnen Williams up front, uh, I think they have a chance to be dominant. I do worry, I've said before, I worry about Nathan Shepard. I didn't see enough from him last year to make me believe he'll be a good player. I'm not saying he won't. I'm just saying he didn't do anything to show me he would last year. I say that like I'm somebody. You guys know what the hell. You guys know where I'm coming from. I'm a fan talking about the team. Uh, nothing gets, bothers me when fans like, I need to see this. What, what do you need to see? Whose check are you signing? Um, you know, but you know what I'm saying. The guy, the guy struggled mightily, found himself on the bench late in the season. Agree with your point about Terrell Basham. I thought he looked solid, um, in limited reps. Fadakasi is a guy who looked, and I, I said it many times during the, uh, during training camp, looks strong as an ox, but I don't know if he has the athleticism. We'll see. Bronson Kafusi is another guy whose name floated around a little bit during training camp as a guy who was getting into the backfield and making plays. And then behind that, a lot of undrafted, lesser-known guys. Kyle Phillips, uh, Trevon Saunders, Myquan Stout, Fred Jones, who is Marvin Jones, former Jets linebacker's nephew, and Justin Alexander. Of that group, the guy who I'm most intrigued by is Kyle Phillips. I think he can be a player in this league. And whether or not that turns out to be the case, we will find out in due time. So uh, that wraps it up for our, our breakdowns. That is every position. And actually, uh, before we go, we have, we're, we're going to do our random topic of the night, which is going to be a random, random topic because I, uh, I didn't give it any thought before coming on the air. So before we get on to that, though, Jet Nation Radio is sponsored by Miles Social. Please visit milesocial.com. 
and find out how Mile Social can help you and your business by managing your websites and social media accounts. Listen, if you're running a business, you got enough on your plate to worry about. Mile Social will come in. They'll take your Instagram, your Facebook, your Snapchat, all those accounts. They will run that for you. Take that one, one, one less responsibility for you to worry about so you can focus on running your business. Mile Social, that is M-I-L-E, social.com. Check them out. Let them help you and help your business. So, Alex, football talk is over. As we've said, slow part of the season. Random topic of the night, Alex. You know what? We will do a football one. And you know what I'll do? Because I kind of have something in the back of my mind. Um, I'll go first with all three of mine, maybe even four or five. Uh, Give me your favorite non-Jets players um, of all time. And I'll I'll name a few, and I'll tell you why. Uh, There'll be a couple of Tampa Bay Bucks on the list because I lived in Florida for a while during that time when that Bucks defense was just to me, as much as we talk about how great that old Ravens defense was, that Bucks defense was about a hair behind them in my mind. Um, but favorite non-Jets players, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say Warren Sapp was not the nicest person in the world, from what I gathered from the Tampa media while I was in that area. But that guy That's was just one. absolutely unblockable. My MVP interior D lineman. I mean, come on. That's why I didn't have a problem with the Quentin Williams pick, because when I watched him and some of the things he did at Alabama, I thought, man, he reminds me a little bit of Warren Sapp. And Warren Sapp was just unbelievable. Uh, next guy for me would have to be Mike Allstott, another guy on that team. Just hard-nosed banger who would just grind it out and, uh, you know, multiple-time Pro Bowl fullback. I mean, they listed him as a fullback, but that guy played, he played halfback quite a bit. Um, and, you know, was was a really good player for that team. And I, I don't see how, if you love the game of football, I don't see how you cannot love watching Mike Allstott play. Uh, a fairly obvious one, I think everybody loved Barry Sanders. The guy, the things that guy did on the field were, were you know, just, you know, football's about entertainment, right? That's what, uh, as Namath said so many times in his book that, that we talked about a week or two ago, uh, Joe Namath's book, he talks about how the team owner's wife told him at his first meeting, or the first time he had dinner with them, and Namath got fired up or mad about something, and she just kind of laughed and said, Joe, it's it's entertainment. You're an entertainer. And very few people were as entertaining as Barry Sanders was. Um, so now I'm going to – I'm gonna that, that, that's my three, Alex. Who, who do you got? Who is a Jets fan? Have you watched and thought, man, I wish that guy was a Jet? Or just, just something about a, a way the guy played the game, whether he just did things the right way, who who pops? Who comes to mind for you? Um, I'm going to answer that real quick, and I have to say I really liked your your Warren Sapp take. And and do you remember the incident that he had with um, the coach from Green Bay? Yes, yes. Uh, it went. The coach decided to come out on the field and and just give a little trash talk at the end of the game because there was some sort of questionable play, and he screams at him, "You walk on my field, you better be putting on a jersey." And I yeah. always stuck with me as a competitor at, and, and seeing the fire and, and just watching his eyes light up. That is definitely one of my all time favorite moments. Yeah, that was, uh, that was, um, who was it? The, I can picture him. It was, the green, it was against Green Bay. I can picture him too. No, I want to say Martz. It wasn't Martz. Whoever the hell it was. And, you know, I, I kind of got that because if you remember that, that was uh, Chad Clifton. He nearly killed that dude. 
And I and listen, it's on Chad Clifton. Head on a swivel, right? The ball is live. Yeah. You better be looking around. And there was a turnover, like 30, 40 yards downfield. And Chad Clifton just stood there watching the action. And him and Warren Sapp were both, again, 30, 40 yards away from anything that was happening. Mike Sherman. Mike Sherman, that was it. And Warren Sapp, man, just came in 100 miles an hour. And it wasn't quite a blindside. It was a legal hit. But uh, Clifton clearly didn't see it coming. And, uh, and he put Clifton in the hospital for a little while. I mean, he had some major, major injuries. Some people thought it was a dirty hit. Um, I could, I, I, as a human being, I feel bad for what happened to the dude. But as a football fan, I'm like, look, man, you're in a dangerous business, and it's your job to, to be paying attention and stuff like that. Um, I, I thought the, the, only, the only thing that bothered me a little bit was, you know, after nearly killing the guy, um, I, I, think it's, I think it's customary, like, when you nearly kill someone on a, on, in an athletic event, you, uh, you touch base with the guy to see that he's still alive and say, you know, hang in there. Um, Warren Sapp apparently made no effort to reach out to Clifton and say, you know, hey, dude, don't, don't die or anything. Um, but, yeah. but, again, Warren Sapp on the field was not in the wrong. But, man, that guy, was, he was just an absolute beast. And, uh, oh, and I say this having completely forgotten for a second that the Jets passed on him. Bunch of idiots. Oof, that hurts. But yeah. let me go so, ahead. Quick question. I'll, I'll give I, you one of my all-times. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I'm going to have to go with Steve Air McNair. Uh, there was something uh, about this guy. You want to talk about resiliency? Um, yeah. You'll, you'll never question this guy's heart because he would, he would play with a broken back, a broken foot, broken fingers, broken everything, and he, he would somehow find a way to play on Sunday. And I don't know what it is. Everything was so exciting when he was on that field. I often think about uh, that playoff run that they, they had where they ended up just short against uh, the Rams in the Super Bowl. Um, it all started with that AFC wild card game uh, where Fisher calls this uh, reverse pass on a kick return to tie the game up. And then they went to overtime and they won. And then they just grabbed momentum and they just kept winning game after game. And, and you know, his running back at the time um, who just slipped my mind, but it was also um, extremely impressive as one of the most uh, toughest running backs um, ever. Uh, you know, I, I would never switch teams, but if I, if I didn't, have any loyalty to the Jets. I think that that Titans team with Steve McNair uh, and uh, was it Eddie George? I think it was Eddie George was his running back. But those guys, I mean, they were just warriors. And I I definitely loved watching McNair play. Um, Now, going back as as far as a kid, um, my uncle um, and a few of my cousins, uh, you know, we always give them a hard time for being Dallas fans and, they even bought me jerseys as a young man to try to, to switch me over during those, those terrible, uh, you know, one in 15 years. And, and I still have the jerseys in, in a box downstairs somewhere. And uh, one of them was Emmett Smith, definitely uh, one of my favorite running backs growing up as a kid. Uh, he was just so smooth, so versatile. Um, he did it all. And uh, I remember uh, wanting to become a running back because of him even though I was always plugged in as one of the wide receivers that rotated and the coach would tell me to play and then I'd have to go run and, and give the play to the quarterback. And basically every play that I brought in was, was a running play. Um, 
And it, who knows, you know, maybe it's because I was uh, 85 pounds soaking wet and, and, you know, five and a half feet. But um, I just remember just wanting to be Emmett Smith as a kid. And um, well, I did get the opportunity to play some defense. And uh, Deion Sanders was, was easily the guy that I just loved watching him play. He was so electric. Um, he could nah, play it offense, wasn't physical enough. Return game. But he had the swagger, and he talked that talk, and he could back it I up. I know, and then he would run away from the ball carrier. <laughs> I mean, he did. I mean, again, you know, what what was I saying earlier with Namath, right? It's 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 an entertainment business, and Dion was entertaining and the, the oh, best man. cover guy, I mean, ever. Um, just, be, you know, you compare him to Revis. He did it all. Oh, he, he was athletically, he's right up there. To me, he's right up there with, with like, Bo Jackson – Guys who could just, just on another level, on another planet, what they could do athletically, what they could do with their bodies, the speed. But uh, yeah, Dion, whatever that that was always my uh, my defense in saying it. You know, would you rather have Dion or Darrell? And I felt like you know, yeah, if if it's one play, or if it's the arena league where they throw it 85 times a game, I'm taking I'll take Dion. But in the NFL, where I might. I might, in a big spot, need my corner to come up and stick his face in the fan, and I'm talking young Darrell, not old Darrell, um, I, I would have to go with Revis because Revis wasn't afraid to tackle. Dion was terrified to tackle. True. Very true. Sorry, I, I, didn't mean to, I didn't mean to cut you off there. In your, uh, your, no, you know. those were my, my top three. If I had to give an honorable mention, I, I think Charles Woodson, and I'm talking back from the Michigan days, uh, and this is when you know I used to – be an advocate to, to get the NCA football game for, I don't know if I'd Sega or Super Nintendo back then, but I just always remember wanting to be that Michigan team because number two was the best player in the game. And, and then when he came into the NFL, you could just, you know, see he was a, he was a lockdown corner. And then when he made the transition to safety, I scratched my head a little bit, but then I saw what he was doing and I said, wow, this guy is just so good. You know, how could you not, you know, just say that at the end of the day, Charles Woodson might be one of the best players that walk on that field as far as defensive backs are concerned. Yeah, he certainly was. And uh, and as a matter of fact, if if, if you're going to – there's one guy I was thinking about mentioning, and uh, I'll throw an honorable mention in there too. And now I said non-Jets. This guy played for the Jets, but he was one of my favorites before he played for the Jets. And he only spent a year or two with the Jets. Um, and it was – I mean, he was one of the greatest of all time. But there was one game in particular, and I, I actually keep meaning, like, I have to try to go back and find this game. Um, and anyone watching this game, you know, who, who was paying attention to the broadcast will probably remember um, back. And again, funny enough, it was it was a Tampa Bay Bucks game. I don't even know if it was when I was living down there. Um, but it had nothing to do with it being the Bucks. It was um, the Bucks were playing the Minnesota Vikings. And it was that year that the Vikings were just on fire and they went 15 and one. And the only game the Vikings lost that year was to Tampa Bay. And one of the biggest reasons they lost that game, if you were to go back and watch it, and I'll tell you, I've never seen a better performance in my life by a fullback, and it was Lorenzo Neal. And now we all know Lorenzo Neal was one of the best blocking fullbacks of all time. That's not, that's not anything you know revealing. I would be shocked if, even if Lorenzo Neal felt that he ever played a better game than he played that day. I've never watched a football game where the blocking fullback 
became the topic of conversation among the broadcasters for most of the game. At least it felt that way. It's many years ago. I could be wrong. But they just, I mean, they couldn't highlight it enough. And he was just just clearing a path for the running backs all day as the Bucks tried to play ball control. And, I, you know, again, I liked Lorenzo Neal before that day, but after that game, I, I had a newfound respect for that guy. And I was like, Jesus, this guy is just murdering anybody that comes near the hole. And this, this Vikings team that at the time they were like 8-0 or 9, something like that. They were, they were, you know, one of the top teams in the NFL. And that would be the only game they lost that year. And I would be, uh, I would be surprised if anyone on that Vikings team didn't say that one of the biggest reasons they lost was because the blocking fullback on the other team was just demolishing anybody that came near the gap where the run play was going. Um, and just, again, like I said, he was a Jet. But before he was a Jet, I was like, damn, this guy is something else. And that he was. That will wrap things up for us tonight, Jets fans. Thank you so much for tuning in. Next week, it will be a top 25, as well as covering any news that uh, comes out between now and then. And we might go over a couple of uh, potential trade possibilities, because let's face it, I don't think the Jets go into this season without adding at least one more corner. Uh, And I think they will explore the market in terms of trying to acquire a center. Whether or not it happens, we don't know. But I don't think think they're going to go into the season with the exact 90 guys they have right now but that wraps things up for us thanks so much for tuning in alex go ahead and give out your uh, your twitter handle and sign off here yep and and before i do that huge shout out to to our ladies going to the finals in the world cup uh i believe they're going to be playing 11 a.m uh on sunday so let's go ladies let's take it home bring us home a championship we're all rooting for you and uh, yeah, what, fans, what what country are they playing their world the women's World Cup in? I don't even know. Uh, I believe it's to be determined. And awesome computer, fail me now. Why don't you? Um, I know we took down England today, two to one, and I believe that the other semifinal game has not been played yet because the 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 cup is on Sunday. So let me hear. I'm pulling it up. And, of course, there goes my internet again. Oh, sweet Jesus. Um, here we go. And I'm back. Netherlands versus Sweden tomorrow. So the winner of that game, we will be playing either Netherlands or Sweden. Um, which is interesting because I think the men's Netherlands team was in a final not too long ago, too. So Yeah, I was going to say, weren't they well. in the men's final? Uh a couple of years ago when, when England did fairly, I was over here and I was not really paying attention. I mean, everybody I know was losing their minds. Um, I can't remember if I got into it or not, but anyway, yes, congratulations and good luck to the American, the U S women's soccer team. Uh, I guess that's what I was in a store earlier and some guy heard my accent and he was like, Oh, you're watching the football later, which of course soccer. And I'm like, uh, I, Why? And I was like, I, I guess, is England doing well? Because I'd heard they were, and I knew the U.S. was doing well. Didn't realize they were playing each other. Um, but, no, I did not watch. But good luck to them. Uh, that'd be a great story. And that will do it for us tonight. Thanks so much for tuning in. Tune in next week. As I said, Top 25. We're working on a couple guests. Uh, more to come on that later in the week, maybe even day of the show. But uh, we're working that issue right now. And, uh, and yes, we have made some minimal progress. Alex, uh, didn't get a chance to tell you this. 
on the intro. We uh, we've picked a person to do it. We have reached out to them and we are waiting to hear back. So hopefully Alex will get his due credit when we intro and outro every week. And Glenn doesn't seem like a selfish bastard who hogs all of the intro outro. (laughs) Have a great night, Jet Nation. Have a great night, Alex. Take care. Go Jets. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow Glenn on Twitter at AceFan23. And the show can be found at Jet Nation Radio. Until next time, go Jets! Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.